Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 158 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for another Bar Cart Foundations episode where we pick one specialized topic in the spirits and cocktail world and really pick it apart so that you come out of the episode with a robust understanding that helps you make better drinks at home. This time around, we're going to take a look at a really interesting question that was posed to me by my friend and friend of the pod, Charlie Birkinshaw of Element Shrub. Of course, you can purchase his amazing product on our e-commerce store and check out some of the other interviews we've done with him on this podcast. But one of the things I really enjoy about Charlie is he's always pushing the envelope a little bit, trying to understand things from a really essential level. How does this flavor work with that flavor? Why does this spirit play well with mixer A, but not mixer B? This is one of many reasons why we get along so well. Here's the question he posed to me. Hey, Charlie, what's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Not too bad. You know, Corona times and all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hey, I had a question for you. Okay. Um, so I have been, it's, it's really hot, right? Like summer, uh, it's been like uncomfortably warm lately and I have been craving like refreshing drinks, right. Rather than like really strong boozy drinks. Right. And, um, have have been leaning, uh, non-alcoholic and I found this brand that they do non-alcoholic spirits. They're based in Australia. They're called Liars. Um, and they have a non-alcoholic uh, dry vermouth. And, hmm. and so I was mixing that. Uh, we, we did sort of a collaboration together where we were just playing around with different ideas using our shrubs and their non-alcoholic spirits. And we came up with this really tasty recipe that used their dry vermouth, our chai pear shrub, and some soda water. Um, and now, okay. now Liars is a, an Australian company. And after so our con- li- liar is in like they're not telling the truth, or liar is in the thing that you strum like the, the heart. Uh, even different liar, the bird, L Y R E, that is a mm. bird that mimics things. So the idea is that like their non-alcoholic spirits mimic alcoholic ones. Okay, I got it. Um, so anyway, following up on our conversation, he sent over kind of the list of drinks that we had kind of put together and I was playing around with them recently. And I I looked back at the email and it said like fizz, this dry vermouth or chai pear shrub soda water. And I don't know, for some reason, like I always thought fizz was like had egg whites in it. And, and then I was thinking, well, these guys are from Australia. Like, is the sort of nomenclature they use to describe drinks different than what we do? Um, and then I realized in the back of my head, I was probably thinking of a flip rather than a, a fizz. But um, but then I was thinking, hey, like I should call Eric and um, I don't know, see if you wanted to talk about like, I don't know, what's what's the difference between a fizz, a spritz, kind of a highball, all these other like really like refreshing drinks that 
are not just booze, but typically some sort of soda. Um, and like, how are they different? And are they really the same, but just kind of different names or like, I don't know. So anyway, I thought you'd be the best person to answer those questions. You know, I, thinking about, thinking back to your episode on like seltzer club soda and, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, huh, is this like that same thing? But like one uses club soda, one uses, I don't know. Um, oh, I love that. I love that because like, yeah, yeah. The Shiraz Syrah thing, right? So like yeah. in Australia, they call it Shiraz and then the same grape in France is called Syrah, you know, same thing. And you know, it's, it literally is apples to apples, but yeah, I, I like that question. It's a nomenclature question, but then also potentially like a taxonomy question, right? Like one of these things could be something that branches off from the mother species at a certain point. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I have an answer off the top of my head, but I will investigate. Awesome. Looking forward to it. When you get deep enough into the alcohol world, you begin to realize that most topics can be viewed through a taxonomical lens, meaning that most things, whether you're talking spirits or cocktails, can be traced back to other more essential or ancestral things, usually due to mitigating factors such as time, technology, and geography, or terroir. So when I started thinking about Charlie's question, the first place I looked was to the history books, and the closest thing to a primary historical source we have in the cocktail canon is Jerry Thomas's Bartender's Guide, which has several editions. I was able to pull up a PDF of the 1887 edition, published two years after his death, and I'll link, of course, to that document in the show notes. And I think there's a pretty compelling argument for this last edition being perhaps the most definitive edition of The Bartender's Guide, since it contains the sum total of the professor's wisdom, which he was able to refine over several publications of the book. In it, we have several mentions of a drink called a fizz, spelled with only one Z. There's the brandy fizz, made obviously with brandy, the gin fizz, made with Holland gin, what today we'd call Geneva, and the metallic duo of the silver and golden fizz, both made with Old Tom gin, which is normally sweetened and sometimes barrel-aged. The real difference between these last two is that the silver fizz was made using the addition of an egg white, and the golden fizz was made using an egg yolk. Down the road, a further twist called the royal fizz would be made using the whole egg. Now, I like this debut, so to speak, for the fizz category because it's tight. Four drinks all made using the following spec. A little bit of sugar, a little bit of lemon juice or lime if you have it, a standard pour of a spirit, be it brandy, Geneva, or Old Tom Gin, ice for mixing, and some sort of carbonated water to top. This is the type of cohesion you'd expect in a drinks category, and to me the impressive thing is it exists right from square one, right from the first mention we have of the fizz. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out a couple differences between these recipes that reveal a little bit of Jerry Thomas's technical genius. One is the way that ice is employed. In the brandy and gin fizz recipes, you're using one lump of ice in the mixing process, whereas in the silver and golden fizz recipes, you're instructed to use two to three. Now, why might this be? Well, for one, we've got the egg in those last two recipes, which adds a bit more volume to the drink, which is 
perhaps worthy of another lump of ice, whatever the hell a lump amounts to. This is just basic physics, right? The more stuff you need to cool down and dilute, the more ice you'll need, roughly speaking. But then there's the fact that the brandy and gin fizz cocktails call for one teaspoon of powdered sugar, whereas the silver and golden fizz cocktails call for one tablespoon of granulated sugar. If there's one thing that old-timey bartenders have over us, it's their deftness with different sugars used outside of a simple syrup format. And this is a perfect illustration of that point. Jerry Thomas knew that in order to dissolve a larger quantity of coarser sugar and beat up an egg, you needed more dilution and more solid adjutants. And that is exactly how he designed the drinks. There's two more major differences we need to look at if we really want to understand the fizz category. The mixing method and the type of carbonated water used to top off the drink. According to the professor, the brandy and gin fizz cocktails were generally stirred in a glass along with either seltzer water or something called Apollinaris or Apollinaris, which was a German brand of sparkling spring water. This means that they were sort of built drinks in the same sense as the Aperol Spritz, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But right off the bat, you should be thinking, a stirred cocktail with citrus juice? That kind of goes against most of what we're taught about cocktails. To me, this is one little nuance that makes the fizz category special. The silver and golden fizz cocktails, however, were shaken over ice, poured into a glass, and then topped off and here's the kicker, only with seltzer water. This tells us a couple things. Obviously, to achieve the rich, desserty texture from the egg, you really need to shake the drink. You can't get away with just lightly stirring it, like in the brandy and gin fizz cocktails. This much should be clear to anyone who's worked with eggs in cocktails. But to me, what's more interesting is that Jerry Thomas knew that big bubbles the kind you get from a seltzer gun, were the only thing to use in a rich dessert-style cocktail if you want to achieve contrast with the other ingredients in order to make the drink feel effervescent despite its heavy, sweet flavor profile. If you want to learn more about egg-based drinks or the difference between sparkling water and seltzer water, head over to episode 29, Egg Cocktails, or episode 99, Bursting Bubbles. And since we're talking about references here and continuing your education, if you decide to head over to the show notes page for this episode to check out that PDF of Jerry Thomas's bartender's manual, the recipes I just mentioned are on page 46 and 47, which are pages 50 and 51 of the PDF. The more you know. So let's recap. As far as Jerry Thomas is concerned, a fizz cocktail contains the following. A normal pour of spirits a little sweetness, a little acidity, some sort of carbonated water, either mildly or aggressively carbonated, the optional inclusion of an egg component, white, yolk, or whole, and a build that accommodates either shaking or stirring depending on the ingredients and the desired style of cocktail you'd like when you pour it into the glass. This is what a fizz is. Now, of course, I'd be remiss if I moved on without mentioning what's probably the most iconic fizz 
cocktail in the book. The Ramos Gin Fizz, invented by Henry C. Ramos of the Imperial Cabinet Bar in New Orleans in 1888, one year after the final publication of the professor's bartender's manual. This cocktail extends the fizz format by adding dairy in the form of heavy cream and orange blossom water to the recipe. It also modifies the process to generate an uncommonly rich head of foam on the drink by employing a method called the dry shake, where some drink components of the cocktail are beat up in the shaker without ice to start off, and thereby denaturing those egg whites without the unhelpful presence of ice or dilution. To make the Ramos Gin Fizz, you'll need two ounces of gin, one half ounce of lemon juice, one half ounce lime juice, a half ounce of simple syrup, three dashes of orange flower water, one ounce heavy cream, one egg white, and two ounces of soda water. You'll want to combine all these ingredients except soda water in a cocktail shaker with no ice. Remember, this is the dry shake. And make sure you really maintain the seal with your hands, because otherwise you're going to be wearing most of the drink. So. Give that a good solid dry shake for at least 15 to 20 seconds or until you hear and feel the consistency of the drink begin to change in the shaker. At this point, you can add your ice and shake for a further 15 to 20 seconds before straining into a highball glass, topping with your soda water, garnishing optionally with half an orange wheel and enjoying through a straw. To me, the Ramos Gin Fizz is the apotheosis, the high watermark of the Fizz family. It attains a level of decadence hinted at by Jerry Thomas's silver and golden Fizz cocktails, while still fitting comfortably within a category that started with a little booze, a little sugar, a little citrus, and some bubbles. So, now that we're comfortable with the Fizz category, you know what I say, let's get spritzy. And of course, the first cocktail that comes to mind when we say spritz is the mighty Aperol variant. It's everywhere. It's delicious. And so why wouldn't the Aperol spritz be the first thing we think of when the word is uttered? It's a weird thing to say, but the spritz, in my opinion, is both older and younger than the fizz. Or maybe to say it another way, the origins of the spritz are older, but it didn't reach its height of popularity or development until fizzes were old news. In German, the word spritz means a dash, or a splash, usually of water. This became a popular beverage ordering term during the occupation of northern Italy at the height of the Austro-Hungarian Empire during the early 19th century. See, the German-speaking occupiers were used to light, sessionable wines grown from thin-skinned grapes in colder climates, not the higher-octane, more tannic wines popular on the peninsula south of the Alps. So when the Austrian soldiers would sit down at a cafe in Milan or Venice, for example, they might very well order a glass of the native wine, but they'd request a spritz of water, either flat or sparkling, to help it fit their native palates. To me, this version of the spritz really can't be considered a cocktail. It's just wine and water. And I hate to break it to you folks, but wine's already mostly water. For my money, the spritz doesn't achieve its true power until the mid-20th century, several decades after the birth of Aperol, the popular Italian aperitif sporting notes of sweet and bitter orange. 
Modeled somewhat after French aperitifs like Dubinet, Aperol was a natural fit for bubbles, both whiny and watery, which helped cut through the bitterness and sweetness to lift the flavor profile. And to be fair, people were spritzing other aperitifs long before the Aperol spritz came along, but the Aperol spritz just seems to have done it better. For my money, the best recipe for an Aperol spritz, and there are a lot of them out there, is as follows. It's a three to two to one ratio. Very easy to remember counting down three ounces of Prosecco, which is a dry white sparkling wine from Italy, two ounces of Aperol, and then one ounce of club soda or seltzer water. What you're gonna do is you're gonna fill up a stemmed wine glass halfway with ice, add the ingredients in descending order of volume. So first the Prosecco, then the Aperol, and then the soda, and then give a gentle stir to combine and garnish with half an orange slice. To me, the Aperol Spritz is a cocktail because it's more than just wine with water, or wine with bubble water, or even an aperitif with bubble water. The combined ABV of the Aperol and the Prosecco is more potent than anything you'd find in the early 19th century when those Austro-Hungarian soldiers were spritzing their wine, and you have this delicate balance of sweetness, bitterness, and acidity going on that you wouldn't find in just a sparkling aperitif beverage. So, using the Aperol Spritz as the model for what the Spritz should be as a cocktail category, the defining characteristics are light booziness, either from a robust aperitif or a combination of a light aperitif and a wine or fortified wine. Remember, we can't leave vermouth out of the equation here. Sweetness, again, from the aperitif and any wine-based modifiers. So what we see here is that ingredients in the spritz are pulling double duty, whereas most of the ingredients in the fizz cocktail are kind of lending their own qualities to the drink. And then finally, bubbles. Can't have a spritz without bubbles, and these can be from carbonated water and or from sparkling wine. You never see sparkling wine in the fizz category. And if we place this definition of the spritz alongside our definition of the fizz, the main differences appear to be that one, spritzes don't contain citrus is. If there's acidity, it comes primarily from wine. Two, spritzes generally have a bitter component, which is not the case in the fizz category. And three, spritzes are generally built and stirred over ice gently, kind of like the brandy and gin fizz, but very unlike the silver, golden, or Ramos gin fizz, which are all shaken. And this is where I think people get a little confused between the spritz and the fizz category. They're both light and refreshing, albeit for slightly different reasons. They both have some component to offset the sweetness of the drink, right? For fizzes, that's acidity and sometimes texture from an egg component. And for spritzes, it's bitterness and the heavy influence of bubbles, sometimes even from two sources. Now, is there some overlap in this Venn diagram? Yeah, maybe a tiny sliver. For example, if you made a cocktail that contained something like limoncello, a half measure of gin or vodka, and sparkling water served over ice and garnished with a squeezed orange slice, you could sort of kind of make the argument that it's either a lightly acidic fizz or a spritz that's suffering from a lack of bitterness. But Really, that's about as close as these two categories come to overlapping. They're gazing at one another as though through a pane of glass, able to communicate, but never able to touch. 
So to wrap up this episode, I'm gonna present you with the formulation for the mocktail that Charlie from Element Shrub developed with his collaborators from Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits, which you can purchase on Amazon or at select BevMo locations. The formulation is as follows. In a highball glass with ice, add one and a half ounces of Liars Dry Aperitif, which has herbal, citrus, and saline notes. Three quarters of an ounce of Chai Pear Element Shrub, which is sweet, spicy, and a little bit tangy. And then you're gonna to top with club soda and garnish with a fan of thinly sliced apple or pear wedges and dust with nutmeg. Actually, that sounds amazing. That's a really, really beautiful drink and I, I think it's uh, just a beautiful way to demonstrate both the aperitif and the chai pear shrub. Now, of course, if we're asking ourselves the question, is this a fizz or is this a spritz? Well, we have to take the booze out of the equation because this is a mocktail. So we really have to analyze the balance and the service style to figure out which camp it falls into. For my money, the fact that this drink contains a wine reference right from the aperitif, a healthy dose of bubbles, a fruit garnish, and no sign of shaking citrus or eggs places this solidly in the spritz camp. However, the acetic acid from the vinegar in the shrub is definitely a bit of an oddball. You're really not gonna see much of that in the spritz world. So if there's anything fizzy about it, it's the vinegar, which kind of mimics the acid profile of citrus. But that one thing aside, I'm chalking this one up as a win for the spritz family. So Charlie, the team at Liars, I hope this was at least a little useful to you as you consider where your various creations can fit into these two bright, bubbly cocktail categories. And for all you listening out there, I hope you can return to this episode if you ever need a little refresher on what makes these two styles both separate and for the most part, distinct. I'm Modern Bar Cart CEO Eric Koslick, wishing you happy mixing no matter where your bubbles come from or whether you prefer your cocktails tangy or bitter. I'll catch you next time right here on the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. 
This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, a compelling taxonomical question courtesy of Charlie Birkinshaw from Element Shrub, and a little bit of historical research by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.